This is an ABC podcast. I love having a headstrong kid, but sometimes it's just exhausting. She's very single-minded about what she wants and so determined to get it that she will scream or push other children out of the way. A 10-year-old has a really strong sense of justice. So she's written letters to prominent people. She wrote to the Queen about deforestation in the Commonwealth and what the Queen was doing about it and got a reply. He will throw himself onto the playground with the big kids and attempt things that are far too difficult for him. And she wrote to the Prime Minister about solar panels on her school's roof and she got a reply. It's meant he's had some pretty bad head injuries. Head injuries bleed a lot. And she wrote a letter to Kate Winslet saying that she felt like Kate Winslet was better at reading audiobooks than Stephen Fry. And she got a reply, although she wasn't satisfied with it. And sometimes during the day, I lie down on the floor face down and just have to close my eyes because I find her so draining. (laughs) Strong-willed, powerful, feisty personalities... Ah, spirited kids are called lots of different things and they are often really misunderstood because they are a lot. And while these kids may well be running the country one day, parenting them can be totally exhausting, especially if you aren't the powerful kind. I'm Maggie Dent and on this Parental As Anything, how to parent a spirited child without dampening their spirit or losing your mind. Angela Pruce knows all about the highs and lows of the spirited child. Angela is a family therapist and she has first-hand experience dealing with these tricky temperaments, both at work and at home. These are the traits to look out for. And if you've got one of these kids, get ready to nod along. So these kids are very, very persistent. They hear a limit or a directive, and if they are not on board with it, they are going to continue to, you know, challenge what you're asking them or state their opinion, you know, over and over again. And they have a hard time sometimes being flexible and kind of transitioning and moving on to the next thing. They're really passionate and outspoken that can bleed over to that stubbornness and being a little bit rigid. I think that they are often very resourceful, independent, um, adventurous. Sometimes they have a lower sense of danger or fear, very curious. (laughs) Yeah, those are the things that that come to my mind. Angela, I'm the proud mama of two strong-spirited boys who are now men. So I have a little lived experience, like around 40 years, and I have met them often as a teacher and a counsellor. So Can you tell me a little about your eldest daughter and when did you know that she was a spirited one? So I would say by the time she was two, she was able to use her voice very strongly in a very (laughs) opinionated way, big emotions. And, you know, it just became more and more clear, you know, as the years went on that she was an extremely persistent and determined child. So how did you kind of respond once you recognise, hang on a minute, there's something else going on here? Where 
things really came to a head was when it just felt so hard and so stressful and it felt like we weren't connected because there was so much resistance and so many of the behaviors that these kids, um, you know, they naturally manifest as a result of their temperaments are these behaviors that we've been so ingrained and so programmed to believe are misbehaviors, right? And are things that are undesired in our kids. And so, of course, then we try to quelch those behaviors and we try to control them and the strategies that we were using at that time, you know, the, these behaviorism and whatnot yes. and timeouts, <laughs> you know, these, these things typically a, a really big sign is that these things don't work mm-hmm. for spirited kids. And that's pretty clear early on. And it also continued for us. And like many of our traits, sometimes it can be a case of like father, like daughter. My own parents have often said that their granddaughter was calmer for what I was like as a child. Growing up in a small Pilbara town, uh, I attended the first day of kindergarten and the teacher and the teacher's aide were concerned because there was no sound coming from the wet area where the kids would have a drink after going out for afternoon play. They turned up and found me, all of three and a half years old, standing at the front of the water cooler telling each and every one of the kids when it was their turn and how long they could drink and who had had enough and who hadn't. (laughs) Okay, so... Given that their increased reactivity to when things are not happening as they would prefer, let's start with what not to do if you're parenting these kids, Angela. These kids definitely, they need a strong, sturdy leader um, where they can feel safe. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to, you know, kind of let your child steamroll you, right? It's I know for myself, there was a big transition period between the parenting approaches that I had been had been implementing that were not working and then really trying shifting more towards you know respectful parenting and connection parenting and to being more um, a little more accommodating and more understanding and more flexible and collaborating and heck parenting these kids can feel like one long power struggle so what's the best way to deal with this oh I think this is just a huge one I think to not focus so much on their behaviors and really resent their behaviors that come from their natural traits. Because what ends up happening is we take their behaviors personally and really nothing good comes from this at all. But when we're able to see things for what they are, see their behaviors for what Mm -hmm. they are and really embrace their traits Instead of resenting who they are, right? These behaviors that they can be really triggering. I recently was doing a training about working through emotional triggers, and you know, having a spirited child really does sometimes feel like you are living in a trigger factory <laughs> because yeah. you know you're having to really manage so many behaviors. Our spirited kids have a higher primary needs for control and for power. And 
those are healthy things, but we still want to have that healthy uh, parent-child dynamic. And the parent inherently has has more power and more control, which I think we often forget and we feel like we need to fight for it and we need to earn it and exert it. But we naturally have that and we really just need to step into it. I think a really important thing is too, is what I discovered is I really needed not to sweat so much of the small stuff and really just work out what were the important boundaries that I was just immovable around. And that made it so much easier. You know, there were times that I could have jumped in, but really I let the siblings sort that one out or I just let it go because I know the ones that I wanted to make sure they knew I was unmovable were the things to do with developing a sense of healthy and positive character or being responsible for not being hurtful to others. So I think sometimes that's one of our things. You can't correct all of it. And the thing that makes them most defiant is when they think we're trying to control them. So again, it's that, you know, doing with these children rather than to these children. And I I started to find myself saying things like, oh, okay, so what would work for you, you know, this weekend, rather than me going, right, this weekend, we're going to do this, 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 and this. I'd go, what would work for you? And then you know what? So often, once they felt heard, I could still make the choice I'd actually had planned. But once they felt heard, it made a different sort of sense to it. Yes, yes, absolutely. I tell parents often that I think, you know, one of the most underused interventions, so to speak, for parents is simply just offering that empathy and that listening and that validation. And, you know, spirited kids are wired to be heard and to be seen. And they are going to make sure that, you know, their needs for these things are met um, (laughs) one way or another. Um, And often we do just pull the trigger and jump to this controlling space when if we would just, you know, press that pause and just stop and offer them that moment of connection and empathy and to be able to, you know, validate how they're feeling because often these kids have such strong emotions and that can just really melt so much resistance. And here's some more advice from those who have walked the talk with spirited kids. I think in the past we've matched, for example, Henry's blowout, then we would match it with a blowout mm. because the energy spills over into you as a parent. And but as and grown, the emotion comes into it as well, I suppose. But as, as grown-ups, we have to make that choice and go, <gasps> I really just feel like taking your head on right now, but I'm the adult, so I'm just going to step down and breathe. Ho- hopefully they learn from that. Take a moment, step back. <laughs> I think the best way with dealing with a powerful personality in a child, ask yourself, is this an issue? Is this the hill I want to die on? And also, more importantly, I think it's important to ask um, the child, what do they think? Is this the hill they want to die on? And most powerful kids will look at it, look at it realistically and go, you know what? This is what we'd call an ant problem, not an elephant problem. Um, taking things head on, we know it doesn't work because if you go head on, you're basically teaching them to go head on. So if you're showing an example through action by leading by example of, hey, I'm here to listen and I can meet in the middle, then you, they're able to mirror that behaviour and you dissipate the, the head on, you know, the collision.
Yeah. So, Angela, come on, let's reassure the parents of these kids. What are the positives of having this temperament, character kind of blend? Oh, I think there are so many positives, Maggie. Um, I think that if we can learn to help our kids build these traits and how to communicate, you know, loudly and strongly, but respectfully, right? And when we do this, I think that they will very likely um, become strong leaders in whatever regard it may be, right? Whether it's in a business or a school, in their community or in their family, among their friends. I see my girls just having this innate sense of kind of a the bigger picture and being able to organize a game and have an idea and, and get it done, which is really cool. I think that something that I especially admire about them is something that I'm still working on myself. And that is, you know, they just naturally kind of have this sense of strong, healthy boundaries for themselves. And this just natural kind of resistance to being manipulated or being, you know, <laughs> coerced. Um, and they're just, no, nope, this isn't going to fly. And they're able to say that and they're able to say, no, I don't want to do that. Or no, that's not okay. And th those are things that I I'm actively working on being able to do. But like most things, these spirited kids can even take being polite to their own special extreme. Well, I've always taught my girls to be polite and speak to people, not be shy and whatever. So we're walking down York Street and Amy's walking along, holding my hand and saying hello to everybody. That's good. Yes, having a good time. And then the one lady didn't say hello back. Amy turned around, hands on her hips, and said, excuse me, lady, I said hello to you. And the lady just kept on walking, and she said, excuse me, at the top of her voice. And she said, but, Mum, I said, it's OK, Amy. She said, but, Mum, you told me that to be polite, everybody should be polite in, in life. What can you say to that? That's a year-old. Every time we went walking, Amy would always be in front. She'd always be the leader. You could not get her to stay behind. She had to be in front, controlling the whole situation. Uh, and that's what she did in all her life, I think. Even when she went to university, she had OS study before anybody else. She had herself in university place, all done. When we, do you need a hand? No, it's all done. Yeah, didn't have to do anything. So she is pretty strong-willed. I lose every argument, everyone. So sometimes it's just easier to walk away <laughs> and be defeated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never have arguments. Let's just yeah. touch on that for that same thing, because I think for our girls, particularly who are these highly spirited girls, there's a lot more kind of subtle and over conditioning on them not to be, you know, not to be out there being loud and in everyone's face because they're supposed to be quiet and nicer. And it seems it's okay for boys to be that, you know, and I'm we need to keep fighting on that one, don't we, to give our girls that courage to stand up and be themselves and be heard respectfully. Yes, absolutely. And many, many girls struggle with that and see that really as kind of being conflictual. And I was raised that way myself. So to me, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's, oh, well, just, just don't do that. Just play what they want to play. And, you know, of course, I'm not saying that, but these are the thoughts running, you know, running through my head that keep mm. the peace and be nice. So exactly. Absolutely. People please put myself last. So yes. Now, yes. can I ask a question too, that we know that because they tend to kind of dominate a little bit, 
they can, in those early years, struggle around friendships and things. Let's be honest, they can be a little bit bossy. So is this a window that parents can step in there and help them learn how to be a good friend instead of just always being the number one one? Oh, yes. I think that's so important because, you know, these traits are hardwired to a certain extent in our kids. But then, you know, there is so much room with, you know, what's going on in their environment and what parents are doing and teaching. And we really can shape these things in a uh, particular helpful ways. And so, um, you know, really working with them on and maybe, you know, talking about the tone of voice and just helping them reflect on, okay, like this was great. But, you know, let's talk about the words we used and how we might be able to say that in a way that makes it a little bit more easy for them to learn and is is respectful of of them, of course. But yeah, lots of practice just, yeah. sharing and winning and losing because they're not things that are comfortable for our feistier kids. And I think that's exactly what we can do as parents at home. We just constantly involve them in those activities through play and we can develop them you know, in a more positive direction. Thank you, Angela, ever so much. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, so those of you who have these spiritual children, it's okay that you're exhausted. It's okay that sometimes you you question how you are parenting these strong, feisty little characters. The bottom line is that they do seem to think that they have a heightened sense of importance. So if you can kind of, even though they're younger, speak to them like you would for a a more grown-up person. Model respect. Speak courteously. Expect some input from them or encourage it. And then give them the freedom and autonomy that they are hungry for in age-appropriate ways. And celebrate the gift of a, what we call, natural consequence when the choice they made might have ended in a grazed knee. And the last thing too in that journey of how do you give them autonomy, always remember the three C's that help to build all our children's sense of self and self-determination. And that is the connection. Always work on connection. No question. The more loved and safe they feel, the better. Two is competence. They're going to keep stretching themselves to become more competent and capable at things. So focus on that. And then that third one is the control and the autonomy, which, of course, you will know all about because that's their number one priority. And I think one of the other things is even though these children will headbutt you because they want more power, you are always reaffirming to them that you are in charge. And as Susan Stiffelman writes a lot, it's the best metaphor ever, you are captain of the ship. You can allow them for input, they can help negotiate, but you are still the parent. And that that is the most important thing to be. It's not about holding all the power. It is that you are in charge so that they can lean on you. There are times they will definitely still need to lean on you as a parent. And those of you who have those feisty, spirited kids, hang in there. Because really, they can become amazing humans with lots of parental guidance and support and coaching. (laughs) I had two of them. And I might also have been one myself. And if those really big feelings are getting the better of your spirited child, we have a really helpful companion episode for you. It's called How to Help Your Child Manage Emotions. 
The one lesson we've learned here is that parents want to be doing this before there's a meltdown. So we want to learn how to read the signs of when the child is becoming overstressed. Again, it's called How to Help Your Child Manage Emotions. And it's a beauty with so many tips on how to build self-regulation in our kids. Something I'm really passionate about. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app. And this is Parental as Anything. I'm Maggie Dent. Hey parents, do you want your children to be smart, well-rounded little humans? Well, (laughs) sorry, I can't help you with that. But I can tell you that the ABC has a ton of podcasts for smart kids. Like Fierce Girls, which tells the stories of extraordinary Australian women. And Short and Curly, which tackles the ethical conundrums we face in everyday life. There's even Gardening Buds with Costa. It's a kid's guide to having a garden that thrives. Find them on the ABC Kids Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 